so delighted to have an old friend, Vladimir Werning, uh, joining us today from Buenos Aires. We've known Vladimir for many years uh, through different incarnations of his career. I, I confess that uh, when I first came into contact with Vladimir, I thought he was an academic because the conversations were the kinds of conversations I have with my academic colleagues. I did not realize at that point that he was a very senior person in the private sector at JP Morgan. But I quickly realized that uh, he's truly an academic at heart. And then uh, Mark and I have asked him many times to come and talk to our students and help us with a research question. But then subsequently, I think it was during the Macri administration, Vladimir went back to help his country, Argentina, through trouble, troubled times, to, to put it mildly. So all of that is background in terms of how we know Vladimir, but the questions that we want to ask him today are in particular with regards to these newfangled instruments, GDP warrants. They're, they're not that new. They've, they've been discussed in the academic context for a number of years, but they haven't really been used in the market very much except for a handful of countries using them in the context of their sovereign restructurings. After the restructurings, the warrants have been used as uh, something of a carrot to bondholders. And academics, I think it's safe to say, have found these GDP indexed instruments very popular, sort of a, a nirvana type instrument. And Vladimir will correct me, but my understanding is the markets have not cottoned on to them quite so enthusiastically. So again, all of that is by way of background to the questions that we're hoping to ask Vladimir about these instruments and how they played out for Argentina and the broader context. But welcome to the podcast, Vladimir. Thank you, me too. It's very good to be here with you and Mark today. You know, it's an honor as for all of your in, in guests. Um, you know, I, I understand it's uh, primarily a vehicle for uh, having a conversation with your students. Uh, but I think a lot of financial market types like myself and others uh, do find it amazing resources to follow closely. Uh, reminds me of the days when working at, uh, at JP Morgan as an emerging market economist, I, I would tune into the uh, credit slips forum. Uh, and it was also there where we met initially. Uh, I recall both of you providing widely read you know, guidance uh, on all the uncharted waters of Argentina's Pari Pasu litigation. Uh, for those like myself, uh, who did not have a law degree. And uh, you certainly had a big audience then, and I'm sure you have a, a big audience now. Um, and I do recall those days also, uh, you never spared humor or irony in your comments, written comments. So uh, 
I see that's something that has carried over into your podcast uh, makes it very entertaining um, to listen to in, in addition to informative. And so um, I hope we have a we have a nice conversation on on this very strange uh, financial instruments that have taken us a, a lot of time and, and, and created such a such havoc, I'd say, um, in, in its application and practice. Well, thank you so much. To start out, may we get some background from you in terms of the creation of these instruments, where the ideas came from, why they were used in Argentina's restructurings. I, I don't know that I don't remember the precise details, but I, I think they were used in Argentina's initial restructurings of the bonds from the 2001 giant default, uh, and they were used as a sweetener. But sort of if you could give us some background in terms of where the ideas came from, from the markets, from uh, academia, or from the IMF, and then how this played out, just in terms of how much it bought Argentina as a sweetener. And then maybe we, after we get the basics, we can go into the litigation drama that is still going on across multiple continents now. Sure, me too. Um, as you well mentioned um, before, uh, Argentine warrants are new in terms of the litigation, started 2019, 2020 in New York courts. Um, but it's actually a, an old story. Uh, it started out in 2004, 2005. Uh, and it seemed a great idea, like many policy initiatives seeking to uh, complete markets or enhance um, situations uh, in emerging markets where uh, things don't seem to flow as well. And we have disruptions and crisis very often. So um, at that point in time, I think, you know, we had uh, we had the IMF in Argentina trying to um, together design uh, a debt restructuring to propose to the private market, uh, a very large debt restructuring, over $80 billion of claims um, there. And um, GDP warrants, uh, uh, it was a brainchild of, of, of the IMF and of academia in the sense. Um, they're called state contingent contracts, and that makes them very different from, from normal bond contracts because the amount they pay, and if they pay at all, has to do with the, you know, the evolution of events. Um, whereas in fixed income de sovereign debt classical bonds, um, we have a very clear obligation uh, across time uh, between the parties. Um, and I think uh, you know, this is this, with this fancy language that economists uh, usually try to impress, um, this idea of state contingent contract was uh, seemed to be a very interesting thing to include in Argentina's restructuring. So um, here, the idea was basically, you know, if countries grow, they have more creditworthiness. Uh, if they don't grow, which often can happen, there are sudden stops in capital flows, you know, uh, shocks to commodity prices. Um, you know, debt restructurings become all too frequent and disruptive. And so, how about adding something here uh, to the menu of uh, instruments in Argentina's restructuring, which could actually. Um, provide a, a more intimate link between Argentina's growth and its obligations on the financial front. So you can imagine, in theory, it seemed great. Uh, investors get paid more if growth is better. 
the sovereign can pay less if growth is low without falling into default. Um, and this brings to mind the very attractive idea we economists you know, always talk about um, in terms of economic policy, fiscal policy, which is having the flexibility to use monetary and fiscal policy um, to soften the swings of the business cycle, to avoid overheating, to avoid um, a, a, a crisis. Um, and um, definitely there is a, a, a very strong interest in policymakers in believing they have the capacity to do so and believing they can guide markets in a much more orderly fashion throughout the business cycle uh, than if uh, they were not there pulling these levers. So the GDP warrant was an attempt to bring to emerging markets also this idea of countercyclical fiscal policy. If you had a bad economic cycle, um, you, could, you could have less debt obligations because the GDP warrants were linked to that performance of GDP. And um, that would free up resources. Uh, that would mean maybe you could do less of a fiscal adjustment in the middle of a recession, which is something that emerging market economies uh, many times have to do. And it's very different from developed market economies where you're used to seeing um, policymakers um, lobby for uh, more government spending or lower taxes in a recession uh, in, in this counter cyclical fashion. Um, so, you know, this all seemed like a great idea. And, and I think, uh, another re reason to issue in the restructuring, um, I think, came about uh, because there was a debt, sus uh, a debt sus uh, sustainability analysis that the IMF was doing. In these analyses, um, the IMF, the country, investors, they uh, you know, looked to different assumptions of growth, uh, inflation, currency, uh, fiscal policy, monetary policy, and they devise a path, a path that defines how much the country should be expected to pay um, now that it's got this debt overhang, how much haircut needs to be taken, um, how much lower the coupons need to be, stretching of maturities. So this was the challenge in 2004, 2005, and Argentina and investors were not coming to an agreement. And this put the IMF in a predicament because the IMF has some rules about how it can lend into arrears. And the IMF had an outstanding program with Argentina in which it was not providing new money, but it was refinancing uh, obligations that Argentina had coming due on an ongoing basis to the IMF. So if the IMF were to continue to lend into arrears, it had to be clear that Argentina was negotiating in good faith with investors. But since there was not any common ground with respect to defining this debt sustainability analysis, it was dragging on quite long the negotiation. Many investors were claiming that Argentina was not negotiating good faith. So here comes the GDP warrants. How could we bridge the gap? And it sounded wonderful because I think at that point in time, the IMF considered, look, we, we can have conservative assumptions, which means low cash flow payments by Argentina going forward. It gives Argentina breathing room. But if investors are right and Argentina actually has better economic prospects, GDP grows more, the currency appreciates, fiscal policy is, is more robust, um, and debt capacity payments are higher, we, the GDP warrants would trigger additional payments. Uh, so, so Vladimir, can I... Um... Can I actually pick up on that point? Because there are so there are so many sort of fundamental questions, I think, that these instruments raise. And you know, the conversation to my mind can go in a lot of different ways really productively. I wanted to ask 
a question though that ties into the the last point that you were making, which I I think winds up being at the heart of the the litigation that's going on today, which is that once you decide you want the contract to pay out only when some contingency has happened, and in this case, it's you know the contingency is you have to have a, a, a exceed a certain threshold in GDP growth, then you gotta you gotta figure out how you're gonna decide and who is going to decide whether that contingency has been satisfied. And so here, as I understand it, at least as a first cut, the government is going to calculate its GDP statistics. And that means the government, at least in in principle, has some say over whether the payment threshold is triggered. And so I guess in some ways, this is a really interesting problem from the perspective of how you design one of these contracts. But I guess as just to, to, to clarify, can you can you tell us a little bit about how the contingency worked in these GDP warrants? And then maybe if we can, I know we're gonna loop back in time a little bit, but if we can skip to the, the present moment, what it is that has at least some investors so upset. Sure. Um, as you as you mentioned correctly, I mean the um, the Argentina's uh, Statistic Institute index that calculates GDP is what the bond or the GDP warrant contract um, highlights as the calculation agent. So, um, you know, ex ante, it seems very clear that whatever this agency decides uh, is what uh, is within the, the the boundaries of the contract. So the question is, well. If Argentina is a calculating agency or a statistic agency um, has that that role, um, then where is the breach of contract? So that's a very fundamental question because that's what investors are are claiming. There was a breach of contract, at least initially. Um, Then there are some additional arguments they're using to push the litigation forward because I understand the judge um, did not uh, did not find those arguments as compelling, but the the, the litigation does go on on other um, on other uh, dimensions. Um, so I think, um, but ju- just let me just say one more thing re- regarding the the IMF because I think the IMF is an important protagonist in this. Um, the IMF was told in two thousand four two thousand five by investors that these GDP warrants were not gonna be highly valued by them, that any resources Argentina would potentially put up by way of these GDP warrants was not going to really change their mind about participating or not. You know, you have to think about these, these are fixed income investors. They are not, they don't want, you know, they're not equity investors. They don't want to take um, a bet on optionality, whether growth is gonna be higher or lower. They have a mandate to buy and purchase fixed income instruments. And it was almost as if the IMF, uh, the idea of GDP warrants was driven on the supply side, but there was not really demand for these instruments. And I think that's the underlying problem. So I think um, as, 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 you, were, uh, as you, you, were, you, you were asking me, um, I, I would you know, point out that um, the, 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 the road to, you know, to hell is paved with good intentions. And, 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 and unfortunately, in this case, um, despite all the technicalities, the calculations, the numbers, um, at the at the bottom line, I think is that, um, as you were suggesting, there is a calculation that depends on one of the parties that has the obligations, 
Um, now, I think the most interesting twist to this story is the fact that, you know, if you if you think that the incentives of the issuer Argentina are to uh, report a lower GDP, thereby paying uh, investors less, uh, definitely in a theoretical framework, that's the case. However, um, when you actually look at the history after 2004, 2005, when these warrants were issued, through 2007, when some uh, distortions and statistics started to be noted by investors, um, there was a phase of the, of the life cycle of these warrants where actually in Argentina, local lawsuits were being uh, put forth, not by investors, but by the opposition political parties to the government at that time, because the perception was that GDP was being reported higher than reality. So it's, it's almost a, a, an irony that when you look at the litigation um, and you look at this problem uh, in, 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 a, in a longer perspective and you include the local litigation, although investors in New York are asking um, the judge to rule in favor of, you know, forcing Argentina into a payment of around $3 billion, um, which they presume Argentina should have made in 2014 and did not. Um, there's a whole other debate about the, the distortion of statistics, their impact uh, on, on, on financial obligations uh, since 2007 and through 2012, which actually suggests that these GDP warrants paid investors between 2.4 and $3 billion in excess during that period prior to the period that the New York litigation is looking at. So it's a very complex um, sort of instrument. And um, I think, uh, you know, we, you know, if, as, if you go through the, the processes on a timeline, um, it, things start to make much more sense. Um, and I think this is an important, uh, an important aspect. These GDP warrants will pay as an excess of, of GDP um, above a baseline level. Um, they will pay, so it's, it's an accumulated payment. Over time, the baseline grows from a arithmetic perspective, and the actual GDP path is charted above that. If it's above that, every year that it's above that, you get paid. Conditional, if in the a specific year, you are also, um, you're also uh, reaching a certain threshold, which just after the restructuring was a higher growth rate and then tended to converge to a more moderate sort of long-term growth rate. So you have to hit several, several uh, thresholds before the payment is decided. And the whole process also lags in time. Um, if you were looking to get paid on a 2013 payment, you would only get paid at the end of 2014 um, because of all these complicated calculations that had to be Vladimir, done. And it's um, it just... Uh... Before we go to the break, I, I want to see if my simplification of this incredibly interesting story works. And just tell me if I'm right in understanding the ways in which the system may have gone wrong here. So one, this idea of the GDP warrant comes from academic enthusiasm that is uh, then channeled through the IMF into urging countries in sort of an experimental fashion uh, to use it in the restructuring, uh, as opposed to coming from 
the market saying, look, uh, we don't trust uh, your growth rate projections. Uh, we think you're going to grow faster. Uh, you guys are underselling your growth. So we want GDP warrant. So, you know, it'd be one thing if the bondholders uh, at the negotiations are uh, say, like, like, we'll give you a better deal if you give us the GDP warrants. It, it's a totally different story if the IMF, as part of its uh, support for this plan, says, uh, you know, we really like these new instruments. Uh, why don't you experiment with it in your restructuring? And then maybe the market will pick up. Uh, with that. So I, I understand that as uh, problem number one. Problem number two, and I am trying to recall the many presentations, many enthusiastic uh, uh, economic conference presentations I've heard about GDP index instruments uh, as uh, the saviors of the system. The assumption is always made, and I think you said this, that uh, countries will have an incentive to underreport. Uh, you know, that's the moral hazard problem. And so, so long as we deal with that, all will be fine. And not figuring that countries sometimes have an incentive to overreport because they're primarily concerned not in reducing the amount they pay to bondholders, but they're primarily concerned in, with their political uh, survival. And the third problem that I heard you flag uh, is that it needs to be really clear who's calculating these numbers. They're, they're with a sovereign, calculating the GDP is uh, complicated and you're gonna have to delegate it to some institution. And this was going to be a, uh, this was going to be quicksand at the beginning and nobody bothered to design the instrument well enough and, now, uh, so to try and wrap this all up with a bow, Argentina uh, didn't design the instrument well enough or the, they didn't get enough help in designing the instrument well enough. So now we have litigation over who gets to calculate uh, the GDP numbers and whose obligation it is. Uh, they didn't get very much for it in the market during their restructuring, but subsequently it's blown up on them. And the, the market has not embraced these instruments. Nobody's issuing them in some kind of freestanding way. I mean, they're really equity instruments, not debt instruments, as you explained. So have, have I gotten sort of all of the goofs in this uh, story, right? Yes, me too. I think, um, I think you've, you've, you've summarized it well. Um, this was a IMF uh, uh, driven um, idea that did not really have was receptive in the market, but it went away, it went ahead anyway. Um, and if it wasn't a restructuring, if it was just an issuance, the price would have been so low, Argentina wouldn't have wanted to issue it anyway. So it was something that created an obligation um, that tried to give the idea of good faith and goodwill and negotiations, which was uh, to the benefit of the IMF. But it wasn't really uh, an initiative that investors valued and that uh, our Argentina could get something out. And as you well put it in your question number two, you know, you can, I, I think an interesting parallel to make here is, you know, CPI linked bonds, or in the case of the US, TIPS, right? TIPS are also an index. And uh, if you ask many investors today, there's different views of what US inflation really is and to what extent 
CPI indexes calculated um, by US agencies actually reflect adequately the inflation path. Um, so, so there's any indexed instrument, whether it's some ESG, CPI indexed, GDP, is gonna have uh, some controversy. So you better think about it early on. And I think the irony here is that when we step back a little bit from this New York court, uh, and you, you mentioned the moral hazard problems, which normally we think are, whether it's a CPI number, you'd underreport inflation. If it's GDP, you'd underreport it. Um, if it's ESG, you know, you'd, you'd say you, you, met the, you met the targets. So the measurement issue is there. Um, in the case of Argentina, unfortunately, this instrument has created huge amounts of, uh, of uh, deterioration in the credibility and the sovereign credibility, because even as the perception in the Buenos Aires litigation is that Argentina overpaid, the overreaching perception uh, in global markets is that there's an issue that Argentina underpaid. Um, and this has to do with uh, the fact that Argentina underreported inflation, it uh, overreported GDP for the reason you mentioned. Argentina's government at that point in time thought uh, that if you you know lied, you lied, you lied, something would stick, and they had a narrative of what they were doing, um, and the numbers were not uh, you know in line with that narrative, and so they changed the numbers rather than the narrative or the policy. Um, but in the case of GDP warrants, actually Argentine citizens paying taxes to the government saw their taxes being paid out uh, in additional amounts to what should have been the base situation under the GDP warrant contract, uh, because GDP was effectively overreported, and you know it's well documented in the domestic uh, litigation. So Argentina clearly did not get much from it. I agree. I agree on all these three points, um, and and there, it's very shocking that. You know, there's a sense because of Argentina's long serial defaulting track record that it's probably you know Argentina's fault here. Um, I think it's 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 certainly the, the the fault of of the government that started the problem. The problem was initiated not by the bond contract or anything. It was initiated by the fudging of statistics. Right um, when these statistics, for the purpose of showing better policy outcomes than was reality, were changed, um, that's when things started getting complicated. Because then we we were led to the interpretation of, of investors versus Argentina of whether these issues benefited or or or, or were were against um, the 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 correct uh, payment on, under the contract. Um, in CPI, it's in the CPI linked bonds. It's much more simple because Argentina underreported CPI and bondholders holding uh, tips bonds of Argentina were clearly undercut in the payments they were owed. This is not controversial. But when you talk about GDP warrants, um, because they overblown it, um, you know, it's, 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 it's the irony of these warrants. They were made to um, help Argentina solve their relationship with investors in a more um, friendly way, and they ultimately created more litigation. Well, that seems like a good time to take a break. And maybe when we come back, we can get into talking about where the litigation is right now. So let's take a, a couple. So Vladimir, to start the second half, I guess the core question, as I understand it, that's still in play in at least the New York lawsuit against Argentina is whether Although the contract let 
the government do the calculation and as I understand it effectively treats the government's calculation of GDP as final. The question is whether the government can still be liable to investors for not doing the calculation in a way that's consistent with the duty of good faith and fair dealing. And the, the, the question that raises for me is a really familiar one from thinking about how parties write contracts in general. When you are writing a contract and one of the, the things that a party's obligations depend on is hard to identify or hard to specify, you've got, a, you've got a choice. You can try to be really concrete in the contract, but that can be really difficult. Or you can leave it to one party's discretion, but rely on some adjudicator to be the one who really polices the, the contract, who decides, usually through the duty of good faith and fair dealing, and the question is sort of like, what would the parties, if they had thought about this situation at the time of the contract, what would they have wanted to do? And, and the adjudicator sort of figures that out. So the question, I guess, from the perspective of how these, these contracts ought to be designed is, do we trust the New York courts? Or maybe there's a better alternative some arbitration panel, the English courts, the, the issuers, domestic courts. Who's the right party to kind of sit on top of this whole transaction and make sure everyone is acting in good faith? I guess the investors would say, this is exactly what we want the New York courts to be doing. Is there something, is that the right perspective? Should we be thinking about the, this from a, from a different standpoint? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Mark. Um, I think investors, you know, presented uh, arguments uh, disputing the, the quality of work provided by the calculation agent. And uh, the judge essentially said, well, you know, but there's nothing that breached the contract there. Um, and uh, you can't use an alternative index to the GDP uh, that the government published, which did not meet the threshold and therefore implied that you did not get a payment that you, you were hoping for or expecting. So the, the, the lawsuit has uh, moved into this realm of lack of good faith and reliable dealing, which is definitely difficult to, um, for the judge to, to weed through because, you know, as I, I think, you know, when the, the lawsuit focuses on 2014 um, and you, you see that the, the facts of the matter are there was not a payment. Investors argue that there should have been based on certain calculations. Um, you kind of go over the math, the arithmetics, and, and you can you know, side on one side or the other. But the real lack of good faith and reliable dealing happens when Argentina started changing these, the, the CPI numbers and the GDP numbers. Um, and as I said before, I think it's um, very difficult whether it's a judge or some, um, you know, some some other ar arbitrage um, uh, persona to step in and, um, and 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 clarify this, I think, as you said before, it's 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 almost a catch twenty two. Uh, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you try to set all the wording in the document initially, uh, because these are state contingent contracts, you can 
you know, you can have a document that is, uh, uh, you know, that, that just goes into too much into the weeds. Um, and, 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 and it's an impractical document um, to bind the parties. And then if you, if you rely on someone looking at this from, from, from outside, um, you know, you have to really get into the weeds of the calculation and understand, you know, where things went wrong. Uh, which is quite a dense matter, I tell you. Um, there's very many technical things you can say. But what I will say about this is the following. In 2013, it was the IMF that asked Argentina to change the way it calculated its methodology. It was the opposition that was telling the government that they were over-reporting GDP and they should correct it. So what the government at that time did was actually follow again the IMF. Uh, that's why I was mentioning the IMF is a protagonist, not just in the beginning, but also at, at, at this point in the process in 2013 and 2014. Um, and you can look in the documents and Argentina says, well, look, I changed this calculation. You can dispute it. But the reality is it was an objective that uh, the IMF asked us to do. And it was necessary because national accounts had only been um, updated uh, the base year in 1993. And it was only logical, every country does it, to change uh, the methodology to a 2004 uh, methodology, which better reflected the structure of the economy then. So it was uh, almost um, you know, a situation where uh, just everything came together. Again, investors, uh, the IMF, uh, Argentina, um, in, in a situation where Personally, I, I don't see how you could have foreseen this in the documentation. Um, and I don't see how you could uh, find a third party that you know, will, will actually uh, feel comfortable going through these numbers um, because these numbers are not about 2014, they're about 2007 to 2012. And the incentive of the Argentine government officials defending Argentina and investors is to focus only on 2014 um, because the prior focus, uh, which is in the domestic litigation, would actually uh, lead us to, you know, to conclude that investors were paid in excess. What does the judge do with that? If it looks at the whole process from 2007 to 2014, you could actually say that although there were different investors, some holding the warrants earlier that got paid more, some holding the warrants later that presumably are contesting the non-payment, that at the end of the day, it's been a wash in a sense, um, with early on payments being above um, what the contract should have had under normal statistics, and uh, later potential payments uh, not being carried out under the new methodology, um, you know, undermining the expectations of investors that, uh, that held the warrants in 2014. So it's a, it's a comedy of errors, I'd say. <laughs> I just wanted wanted to clarify my understanding of this, as you said, the comedy. Uh, There's really a comedy of errors. Uh, so you have these warrants, and in the early years, because the government has an incentive to overreport its GDP, they pay out excess amounts, and then in the later years, because the IMF wrapped. Argentina on its knuckles and say, no, 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 you, you need to calculate things better. The payments get reduced. Uh, they're not under paying as I understand, but they get reduced. And so uh, investors then have 
an argument to make that, look, um, you artificially reduce the amounts, uh, you should stay consistent to your false ways of calculating things. And it, if it were the same investors who were holding the GDP warrants all through this process, you know, maybe a judge or, or outside commentators could say, look, you know, it all comes out on the wash. You got overpaid in the early years. Now you get uh, your payments get reduced. But here we have the problem that the investors who got overpaid in the early years uh, have may have sold the instruments. And now the new investors are like, well, we bought the instrument thinking that, you know, you were going to continue to lie. And we're now not getting paid on that earlier calculation. And then there's even one year for which you just refuse to do the calculation. So you need to pay, to pay us uh, even more. They, they assert things like willful breach, which in, uh, you know, uh, if you teach contracts, you know what they're trying to do is to try to say, this was so bad uh, that you should pay us even more. It's like a tort almost, although Mark will correct me. So is, is that sort of, it's sort of the overpaid and then now, now sort of, underpaid or at least uh, coming back to normal that's just totally messed this up? Yeah, me too. Your irony is intact. Uh, definitely, it's uh, investors, as you can imagine, will, uh, did not and, and would not um, they, you know, present litigation in the court for having paid too much. I mean, those years went by and nobody protested, right? Um, except for domestically, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the government opposition, uh, because there it was an issue of, um, of, of uh, the, the country paying in excess. And, 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 and so you had um, you know, a, a lot of litigation. You had several, uh, several um, different lawsuits, uh, mostly driven by Alfonso Bratgay, who was um, uh, an opposition deputy who was um, well-versed in, in finance. He was central bank president, uh, then economy minister. Uh, and this was, you know, very troubling, but definitely, you know, the, the, the issue was not raised by investors at that time. It was raised by the opposition who was worried that uh, the fiscal resources were being depleted in a way that uh, was not uh, according to contract. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that, that's, that is definitely an irony of, of the matter. Um, and I think um, what, what is clear also that Argentina in, 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 in with, with respect to the 2014 payment, um, you know, claims that there, there is no payment to be due because under the, the methodology um, that uh, has been updated, you know, it didn't reach the 3.2% growth forecast of 2013 did not, was not achieved. Um, the growth was 2.9%. Uh, um, and even in, in subsequent revisions of, of GDP methodologies done in 2016, that threshold remains 2.88%. So uh, in, in today, you know, the question is, if the judge is going to, going back to Mark's uh, question, going to try to understand whether there was a lack of good faith and reliable dealing, well, if the judge had CPI or tips, bonds, uh, on the table, they would definitely be able to say, look, you underreported CPI, uh, and therefore payments were less than expected. But with GDP warrants, it's going to be very hard if you, if you look at the whole matter from the beginning through end and not just on 2014, 
um, it's, it's, it's going to be challenging for the judge um, to make the case that you have payments that were not according to contract, but were actually uh, not less than, than should have been, but actually more uh, during 2007 through 2012. Um, so it's, 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 it's going to be a, a very fascinating discussion. And I think Argentine, some of the Argentine government officials that were there at the time uh, of these calculations that are being disputed are being called by the judge to present uh, their claims, their arguments. Um, but they will not have an incentive to describe and explain what happened before 2014, because if they did fudge those numbers, as most of the market believes, as has been documented in the local law litigation, then they have something uh, to um, they have something to explain to local judges. So they will focus on 2014. Investors will focus on 2014, um, and unless the judge gets an amicus curiae or some other form of you know discussion that really frames this into context, um, it's going to be a very difficult. Um, you know, calculation and, and understanding of all the arithmetics behind this. So, Vladimir, if I can shift our focus just a little bit as we move towards the, the end of our podcast here, I have been thinking, and I think Me Too has been thinking a lot lately about the so-called sustainability-linked bonds, and you had referenced these uh, a bit earlier in our conversation. And you know, the, the way I understand this particular category of bond is that either the issuer could be government, could be a, could be a corporation, but the, you know, the issuer pledges it's gonna hit some kind of environmental target of some sort, and then the, the coupon that it pays varies depending on whether it hits the target or not. So if it if it fails, the coupon might step up. If it if it hits the the target, the coupon might stay down. And one of the things this conversation has has done is depress me even further, make me even less optimistic about the prospects of of bonds like that, because it seems like they raise a similar kind of verifiability problem where most of the numbers are going to have to come from the government, at least in, in um, one respect or another. And there'll be at least arguable incentives to fudge the numbers, maybe in, in, in either way, in, 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 you know, either down or up. Um, in any event, I'm, I'm sort of wondering what your thoughts are about the promise that those kinds of bonds offer, given the experience that, that we've had here, when as far as I can tell, the, the GDP warrants have been a bit of a boondoggle, at least for some investors, but nothing but a real headache and source of, of potential liability for Argentina. Yes, I, I think there's a similarity here. I mean, all the um, sustainability bonds, they are driven by uh, regulators, right? Um, it's supply driven. Um, there's a sense that, you know, governments uh, want to promote these, that banks should allocate credit based on this criteria, um, and they want to quantify it and decide some metrics, some indexes, some targets um, uh, in order to, to, um, to consider whether, you know, the, these objectives have been met. Um, I think it, 
you know, this type of instrument kind of seems easier to implement in um, in corporate bonds because it's very specific, could be very specific to an industry that has a significant contamination impact and wants to offset it somehow. For a government, it's more abstract. I mean, a country is, is large. It has many industries. You know, the, the actual um, policy initiatives that governments can implement oftentimes are uh, driven toward uh, shaping the way third parties or private sector acts, not necessarily having a direct impact themselves. Um, so it's not fully dependent on the government. Um, so th this presents a lot of a lot of issues, I think, just like GDP warrants. I mean, th this is not necessarily the market demanding it, but there has been a, a carving out of 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 a segment of markets that that is mandated to purchase these bonds. But it's it's such a complex issue. Also, as as you know, there's there's even very recently there's been some accusations by regulators of greenwashing, uh, which affected asset managers um, in terms of, you know, their marketing of these instruments to the retail investors that invest in their funds. So it wasn't actually a credibility issue around the index or the instrument created by the government, as in the case of Argentina but a certain responsibility of the asset managers to the retail investors who don't understand maybe these instruments uh, in, in the way that they, that because of their sophistication um, and, um, and the incapacity of, of, of certain asset managers to, to actually allocate capital in, in a way that was um, you know, conducive to these objectives and not just simply greenwashing and, 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 and using the captive demand of this audience to uh, place these bonds. So it definitely raises a lot of complications. I think the story of GDP warrants is one that also was pushed on the regulatory side, if you want, or, or, or on the multilateral side. Um, and and uh, I think is a good example of things that can go wrong um, when the intentions are good. Um, so Vladimir, this, this is, you know, Mark and I have been doing some work on green bonds and had observed in a prior podcast that the legal promises being made in these bonds were eyewash, to put it mildly. And one of the responses from our friends in the official sector was, well, you may be right about that, but uh, we have invented this new wonderful thing uh, called sustainability linked bonds where we'll just have uh, an index and then or a floor and then if you go above the floor and the government accurately reports that then uh, the interest rate changes and if you go below the floor uh, that I, once again the government reports then the interest rate changes in the different direction and I, I confess once again I got persuaded initially that this really was going to solve all of our problems. And now, after uh, talking to you about the absolutely disastrous story of these uh, GDP warrants, I, I am no longer persuaded. In fact, uh, it, it, seems, it, it seems terrible that in the climate bond design context, we don't seem to have learned the lesson of the GDP warrants. But maybe I'm being too pessimistic. But uh, anyway, all of that said, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and making things so clear. This, this is an 
episode in sovereign debt history that has not gotten the attention that it deserves. Uh, the, the story of academic ideas misfiring and uh, a country being blamed for stuff. You know, sometimes Argentina is to be blamed, but in this case, it really just seems like that just everything went wrong and maybe the blame is not, not on Argentina and we're not giving it enough credit. But uh, thank you so much, Vladimir. I, I hope this will uh, show up in print someday so that uh, students of the sovereign debt market can get your perspective. Thank you, me too, and Mark. Um, and I think it's a, it's a nice uh, place to, to, to end the podcast uh, talking about the other indexed instruments that are out there because there's a big push. There's a lot of vested interest, intellectual interest, regulatory interest. Um, and we can, you know, we can imagine some of the pitfalls uh, of going down this route. If these instruments were being, you know, adopted by developed countries that have more robust economies, well, maybe that's fine. Um, but actually, um, you know, trying to, as you said, uh, experiment or open the roads in, in emerging countries puts a burden on emerging economies which you know, might be better placed elsewhere to do these type of um, you know, sophisticated financial experiments. Vladimir, thanks so much.